Welcome to LPO, Landing Page Optimization. Landing Page Optimization expert, Tim Ash, is here to show you what it takes to create optimal landing pages. LPO brings you detailed case studies, opinions, and analysis from the leaders of landing page optimization. Now here's your host, Tim Ash. Welcome back, loyal listeners. This is your host, Tim Ash, for LPO, Landing Page Optimization. And this week, my guest is Dan McGaw. He's the founder of FN Amazing. Uh, yes, that's a, a pretty catchy company name. Welcome, Dan. Hey, Tim. Thanks for having me today. Effin' Amazing. Okay, so with a title like that, I'm sure you get people asking, oh, so what does your company do? Yeah, for sure. We're an analytics and growth consultancy. We take uh, data from people's uh, data analytics services and turn that into money for them. So it's really effing amazing at the end of the day. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And do you have a job title like Lord of Space and Time or something like that at the company? Everybody calls me amazing. Sometimes I go by the head of analytics, but most of the time it's just amazing. Yeah, amazing, Dan. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> all right. You know, you were a speaker at our first Las Vegas conversion conference uh, back in May, and uh, I know it was uh, your, your uh, session was very well received. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, you know, kind of this intersection of analytics and conversion. You know, I, I had this discussion with Jim Stern, the founder of the eMetrics conference, where I've also spoken many times, uh, which is the, the biggest web analytics conference. And um, you know, I was just telling him that most analytics is like driving a car 60 miles an hour in the freeway while looking in your rearview mirror. It only mm-hmm. tells you what happened in the past. So what's your stance on that? I agree. Most of the analytic solutions out there are going to basically be a tally counter of some sort, and they're looking at historical metrics. And those are informing the decisions you make kind of moving forward. But what we really focus a lot of energy on is how do we take the quantitative data that we have and mix it with the qualitative data as well, so that way we can start building better hypotheses and predictions for the future. But it's definitely looking into the past uh, is how analytics works. And I mean, there's some predictive tools coming out, but they're just not there yet. Okay, so uh, yeah, so the, the if you just want to measure seasonality, or if you want to see, you know, you made some change to the website and see what happened after the change was made serially, you can do that with analytics. But if you're going to substantially change the whole context of the user experience, then your historical data is basically not that useful, is it? I mean, it's still useful. It still provides you a lot of insights and answers to what's happening. It it depends a lot on the product itself that you're working with, whether it's a product or e-commerce. But it definitely is going to have a lot more of the historical insights. But if you're running a a really, really good test and you're able to compare the variations against each other through analytics, it's going to tell you which one is correct and which one's wrong. So I think for that amount of value, it can be very impactful on the decisions you make for your business. But still, it's historical ledger. Okay, well, but wait a second. Now, I don't really think of test software being able to see how different versions of your split test content are doing as analytics at all. That's part of kind of like the testing software. I'm talking about more traditional analytics. Well, yeah, but I mean, if you think about the testing software you're using is going to show you the test that you're running right then and there. So if I was testing a homepage button, I could see the conversion rate, how it increased to, let's say, the features page. But with the more traditional analytics, you're also going to see how that A-B test potentially changed other actions that happened on the site. Did it impact your lifetime value? Did it increase basket size? There's a lot of different metrics that you have to be paying attention to. 
Now, the, the traditional web analytics with just Google, I mean, it's not going to give you all those insights because it's not doing the user identification. But if you're using a more advanced tool like a mixed panel, Kissmetrics, Woopra, you're going to have down to the individual identity information. So you can really track your customers through the entire funnel. And you can see how that one A-B test impacted your entire funnel, if not your activation metrics. Okay, so th- that's a good point. There's a lot of other things that the testing software is not tracking. You may be looking at a conversion rate like form fill or shopping cart uh, completes, you know, checkouts and so on. But you're not tracking, you know, like you said, average order value or lifetime value or uh, resubscription rate downstream. And that stuff's all in your analytics. That's what you mean, right? Of course, yeah. And that's, that's what we spend a lot of our time working on and we'll see a lot of people do great A-B tests and they'll be able to increase the the beginning metrics. But when you look farther down the business, you'll start to see other actions happening for those different tests. And that's where analytics comes in and provides a lot more value. Yeah, so I always say it's like in terms of click-through rate, let's say you have a display ad and it says free sex, you know, everyone would click on it. But if you're trying to sell vacuum cleaners on your landing page, you're probably not going to see that downstream sales metric move very much, right? Exactly, and that's where you get yourself in a lot of trouble because I've done some really, really good tests which have doubled and tripled conversions, but then you look two steps down the funnel and it totally destroys everything else. So making sure that you're looking at all of that is very important. But, I mean, I like analytics more on the kind of like the habitual product side of things, like how do you make it so that the product is habitually used by the customer on a daily, if not weekly basis. So we look at for those, those kind of triggers that, that give us insight into saying this is what we need to do to get a user to activate or to get them to use the product every single week. Uh, and there's lots of different triggers that we could evaluate. And it goes back to the point I was saying before is you have to take that quantitative data, mix it with the qualitative data you have, and make the best decisions uh, based upon that. And then continue to test until you can reach the metrics or goals you want to hit. Okay, well, uh, let, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, you know, which metrics are important to track. Like you say, usually in testing software, you have one primary metric that, that you're tracking, and then you kind of keep an eye on secondary metrics, maybe in other packages like your analytics software or something like that. So um, do you ever run it? What do you do in a situation where you actually have multiple goals on your website? So I might want you to sign up for a newsletter. I might want you to download an ebook. I might want you to fill out the you know, free consultation form. And all of those have value to me. So how do you deal with a more complicated situation like that? Yeah, so depending on if you have multiple goals you're trying to aim for, I mean, we always try to focus down to one primary goal and make it so it's a little bit easier for people to understand. Because if you have a lot of different places for people to go do something you want them to do, then they kind of get splintered out into these different webs and they might not ever complete the goal. So we always try to consolidate the goals as much as possible. But you want to make sure that you're understanding the key metrics which drive those. So for an example, if somebody's coming to your site, you want them to fill out the free consultation form. But if they don't fill out the free consultation form, you want them to fill out the newsletter. Well, what is that conversion story that you have to tell them? So if they're landing on the homepage of your website, they're definitely going to see the free consultation. But if they then move to the pricing page and the next thing that they see is the newsletter, you want to measure those. So the entry point of that page is very, very important. Uh, And then the conversion to filling out that form is also just as important. So the metrics of conversion from visiting the page to filling out the form is, is always important. But what you want to understand is did they pass up that initial goal anyway? So did they bypass or bounce from your first goal? Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. One of the important things that people often overlook, and I think you, you kind of peripherally brought up, uh, is that you, you want to very much control the 
where traffic enters your test. So mm-hmm. people, like you say, it's not a linear path. You know, we ideally want them to come there, go to this page, fill out this form, you know, go to this thank you page. And it doesn't happen in a linear process. They wander all over your website. Uh, if it's an unstructured experience. So what you have to do is make sure that you don't have these kind of weird loops or weird ways they got into a certain situation to count towards your test. So, for example, you might have lots of newsletter pages, but you don't want to count newsletter signups on pages other than the ones that are changed by the test. So you want to make sure that you only, like the people that enter into the test at a certain point are the only ones counted, not everybody that's entering other places and might convert quote unquote. Yes. No, totally agreed. And you you really want to make sure that you're you're making the, the best test that you can by tracking the correct people as well as the correct metrics. And sometimes people just they're kind of vague on what they track. So they end up tracking too much and it throws off all of their data. Okay, and now, but this uh, this brings up. I mean, we're headed into in our break in a minute, but um, after the break, I want to come back and explore this notion too of um, delayed conversions. I mean, the one thing that we look at. I, I've, I swear to God, I've seen people say, "Oh, our our testing tool says we've reached sig- statistical significance. We have really high data rate. We ran it for two hours and we got enough data, <laughs> <laughs> and then they stop the test." And I, I just can't believe it. So that's a uh, really awful test hygiene. Um, So why don't we talk about that after the break? We'll be back in two minutes after a word from our sponsors. More LPO landing page optimization in just a moment. Finding links to improve your rankings in the search engines is time-consuming and frustrating for many of us. The Hoth is the go-to company to help lighten your link-building load. Their white-label SEO was made specifically for agencies, in-house SEOs, and affiliates. The Hoth also offers high-quality custom local citation building to improve search rankings in Google's Maps and localized results, providing fulfillment for some of the largest SEO companies in the world. The Hoth offers link and citation building services you can trust. Get $20 in link building or citation building credits free by going to thehoth.com slash radio. T-H-E-H-O-T-H dot com slash radio. When you started your business, you first listened to your professors. Now that your business is growing and gaining ground, you only seek out professionals. PPC Professionals, an industry leader for highly optimized search marketing campaigns with over 30 years of combined management experience. Our professional approach to every campaign helps you find every avenue of revenue so that you can not only stay ahead of your competitors, but get a return on your investment and increase your bottom line. PPC Professionals, personal, professional, PPC services. PPCProfessionals.com. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. 
Reinventing keyword research, simplifying campaign optimization, redefining competitive analysis, SpyFu brings you an entirely new way to find the most profitable keywords for your SEO and PPC campaigns. New tools, new data, and a brand new look. We've streamlined SpyFu so that you can optimize your search engine marketing more efficiently, more accurately, and more intuitively. Visit SpyFu.com, that's S-P-Y-F-U.com, and start downloading your competitors' keywords now. Try it free. Welcome back to LPO, Landing Page Optimization, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Here's Tim Ash. And we're back. This is your host, Tim Ash, for LPO, Landing Page Optimization. This week, my guest is Dan McGaw, the founder of Effin' Amazing. Uh, Dan, we were just talking bef- before the break about this notion of delayed conversions. So, for example, if you have a simple example, you have a, a 30-day free trial, what you really care is not the number of trial signups. What you care about is how many of those people don't unsubscribe and continue on and pay you money, right? Mm -hmm. So there's kind of this aging that has to happen 30 days out. Or if those people renew every month, you want to know the fall-off rates uh, after every monthly resubscription to know your lifetime value. How do you deal with time-based issues like that when you're running tests? Yeah, so the testing is only going to cover, I mean, the the initial metric of people signing up to the page, and that's where we bring in a lot of our analytics tools so that way we continuously monitor things over time. And a lot of times what we do is we start tagging those users that come through that test with some sort of either date or Unix time code so we can understand when they started, when is the potential end date of their trial, and then when is the date that we expect them to convert, and we'll monitor that through the entire funnel, and we'll break those funnels out based upon each one of those tests. Because a lot of times the conversion is going to be 45, maybe even 60 days away. So you have to be paying attention to those people that went through that test. And a lot of times we do that through tagging those user IDs when they're coming through a test. Okay, um, so again, the things that we're talking about with you are uh, you know fairly subtle. Most people that are even doing testing are not thinking about them. So folks... If you have a significant portion of your conversions happening after some time delay, you have to age your data. You don't just stop the test and look at the results when, the, when your control panel says significant. You have to wait that extra week or 30 days, whatever your delay is, to make sure that all those late converters have a chance to convert. Then you're looking at the real numbers. Yeah. I agree, and I, I definitely recommend a best practice of not being solely dependent on your A-B testing tool. Also, lean heavily on your analytics tool to give you that, that those metrics because most of the time they're going to track more data than your testing tool would, and you can get a lot more value out of the analytics. Okay, so one way to easily slice and dice is anytime somebody comes into your test, you make sure that in your analytics you're tracking, like you said, the version of the content that they saw in the test as well as the timestamp so you can uh, run reports based on those two things right yeah and it, it really really is helpful because there's some very interesting metrics that you'll find out even six months after that conversion about how that user segment went through that test performed differently than a different uh, test you may have done elsewhere so i always recommend to be looking at things even six months a year after the fact to evaluate the decisions you previously made Okay, well, give us an example of what something you were surprised by or something that was like, whoa, what happened there? Yeah, so we, have a, we specialize in a lot of educational subscription companies, and we're working with a provider here that does iOS education. And we changed a lot of the messaging uh, from their homepage through their sign-up flow to focus on beginner content rather than more advanced. And in the beginning, what happened was is we saw an uptick of subscriptions 
But when we went and looked back at the, the same exact A-B test later and we compared the lifetime value, the beginners had a shorter lifetime value than the advanced users. Um, so when we changed that messaging, we basically prepared everybody to come in for beginner content, but we only had a limited amount of beginner content. We had a lot more advanced content. So we were able to identify that A-B test was great off of the get-go because we got new subscribers and we got a lot more subscribers than we had anticipated. But when we turned back six months later and we re-evaluated that test, we could see that the lifetime value was nearly cut in half. Uh, wow. And those were things that wow. we couldn't tell unless we looked back at our analytics tool and really were able to gauge how one A-B test compared to another and we could see the different lifetime value for each of those segments. Yeah, so that's a perfect example. So you're... It, the context or the uh, matrix in which you embed them really sets the expectations. So if they think of it as beginning content, if what you're saying is once they've consumed enough of the beginning content or they've run out of it, they're basically going to be um, kind of feel like they've graduated and they won't mm-hmm. stick around as long. Yeah, and they move on. And we've seen this happen in many cases where a headline, co- a piece of headline copy is really, really good. It gets people to convert. But when we look two or three steps farther down the funnel, sometimes it's actually hurt the, the business more than we anticipated. Okay, fantastic. Well, let, let's talk about this. Uh, you, you mentioned earlier on before we went to break about this um, idea of combining quantitative and qualitative. Now, I mean, in my experience, most of the folks poking around in, in analytics land or business intelligence departments, they're um, very focused on the quantitative, mm-hmm. and they're kind of uncomfortable with qualitative inputs, uh, voice of customer, other things like that. How do you merge the two, or what? Uh, what's the tension between the two? Is maybe a better way to put it. Well, I think one of the hard parts between quantitative and qualitative is, especially when you look at quantitative. Once there's numbers involved, if there's a science and there's a method to the madness. With qualitative is a lot of it has more to do with emotionals and judgments and opinions. So for somebody who deals with science all day long, it can be very difficult to try to interpret what those words or any of that qualitative feedback is and then mix it in with the numbers. Well, but wait really- a second. Let me, let me just kind of recast that. Maybe not, not science because, I mean, pardon me, but a lot of what passes for science or statistics and analytics is not science. It's, oh, agreed. It's seat of the pants flying. But, but I think let's just put it this way. It's a more of a, a need for certainty versus an acceptance of ambiguity. Is that a good dimension to look at it at? That's a really good dimension to look at it at. Okay, continue, please. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, and an easy way that we typically do this is we try to find the patterns in all the qualitative data that we do and then start trying to bucket those patterns into specific buckets. So users who like us go over here, users who don't like us go over there. Um, and there's many different ways to break up these buckets, but then we start to see what patterns exist about the qualitative data and then as well as the quantitative data. So say we have a 1,000 users in bucket that love us, we then take all of those or those customer profiles, and then we start to look at, is there anything that's similar between all of those profiles together? So then we can break them into even larger buckets. But what we're trying to do is just understand, is there anything uh, connected between the users that like us and the data that we have about them and see if there's any correlations so we can make better decisions. Uh, And it's not very, I mean, it's not very difficult to do this. And we usually focus on getting the qualitative data at that specific conversion point we're about to test. And then we merge that data into the testing information we have later to see if there was any correlations between the two. Okay, so... What you're talking about now is kind of moving into the realm of predictive modeling and model building. 
Yeah, very, it's very, very similar to that. We're looking, we're trying to do a lot of different things with data so we can look at anything from hundreds of dimensions uh, and see what those correlations are so we can predict what the next action is going to be. Okay, now this is a power that most people aren't aware of and they think you need a PhD in statistics to be able to, to tease these kinds of things out. But like you say, um, you know, for example, um, uh, here's a simple one. Let's say you're offering your services nationwide and you're running a nationwide pay-per-click campaign. Well, you know, one thing you already know, assuming you have lots of customers, is where those customers are coming from. So if you were to model where your customers currently live and their value to you, you'd probably find that not only are your customers concentrated in certain areas, but that some of them have radically different values based on, say, the zip code they live in. So mm-hmm. you might be willing to spend three times as much per click in New York City as you might be in uh, Boise, Idaho. And yeah. Is that the kind of stuff you're talking about? Yeah, and that's some of the stuff that we're talking about. I mean, we look at many different attributes on what we can get out of that user or out of that potential client base. Uh, so, But that's definitely part of the way that we're going about it. So, I mean, it's very much like if you have an e-commerce site and somebody came to your website looking for boots, but they can't find boots, they're going to bounce. So how do we make it so that we can use the qualitative data we can collect through surveys, match it up with the quantitative data of where how many people have visited the boot page, how many people are able to find the boot page, what is similar about the users that got to that boot page, what are similar about all the answers they potentially answered earlier, uh, so that we can figure out how to make it easier for them to find that specific page. Okay, so uh, but, wait, are you talking about, you mentioned surveying, uh, so, so ta- let's talk about more about these kind of qualitative tools that, uh, that you're using. Yeah, of course. One of our favorites is Qualaroo because we can do surveys directly on the page. So a lot of times if somebody lands on a page that we feel is holding them back from the next step, either adding to the basket, we'll start to ask questions on that page to better understand what the customer is going through. Were they able to find what they were looking for? Were they able to buy the color that they wanted? Was there fur? Any type of question around that. Uh, And then we attach all of that data back to that individual user's identity so we can then later process that information against a larger data set. Well, I think this takes us up to our last commercial break. And when we come back, I want to you know, pick up on more of this idea of uh, serving inside, inside the site experience. And also, I know you travel quite a bit. This is the first time I've ever heard this, you know, falling off of a bridge in Ireland. And you're here <laughs> to, to tell the tale. I want to hear the tale in two minutes after we're back from our break. More LPO landing page optimization in just a moment. Introducing Rumble, the smart mobile management system, the first end-to-end mobile platform where you can make real-time app modifications from a point-and-click dashboard. Want to change the design of your app? Point-click, and it's live in real-time. Want to change the ad map of your app? Point-click, and it's live in real-time. Want to change the content mix of your app? Point-click, and it's live in real-time. Power your mobile business with Rumble. Are you ready to rumble? Visit www.rumble.me. Hey, this is Danny Sullivan to talk to you about Bruce Clay Incorporated. They've made Inc. Magazine's list of growing private businesses and have exhibited and sponsored at my conferences since the very beginning. You've seen their search engine relationship chart or you've read their SEO code of ethics, so you know their SEO experts. But did you know they can help you with PPC, web analytics, web design, marketing strategy, promotion, and branding? Yep, get everything you need for success in the online marketplace. You can check it out from the professionals at Bruce Clay Incorporated. For over 10 years with offices worldwide, they've got the answers you need. Check them out today at BruceClay.com. 
Whether you are an online business or domain name investor, you need access to the best names. With over 270 million domains already registered, finding the right names at the best price requires a great wingman. Namejet.com puts you in the pilot seat by giving you fast and unparalleled access to some of the best premium and expired domain names on earth. As the number one domain name auction platform, Namejet.com is the best place to find domains for your business or investment. So light the afterburners to the domain name aftermarket and fly over to Namejet.com at mock speed to get great domains today. Namejet.com. Welcome back to LPO, landing page optimization, only on webmasterradio.fm. Here's Tim Ash. And we're back. This is your host, Tim Ash, with LPO, landing page optimization. This week, my guest is Dan McGaw, the founder of and Amazing. Dan, falling off of bridges in Ireland. What up? <laughs> What's that all about? We were on a company trip a few years ago to Ireland, and we were staying out in Kinsale, a very small town, and uh, we all went to a local pub, and we were walking back Aha, to, that's how it all starts. It always starts at a pub in Ireland. And while walking back, we were climbing up a hill, and I had taken a slight right and thought I was climbing up a, a different hill. Come to find out that wasn't a hill. That was the fence that was going over the edge of a bridge. But the fence <laughs> was covered with vines, so I had no idea. I thought I was stepping onto a hill. Well, I stepped on it. The first time, I kind of had a spring. And then the second step, there was nothing there. Uh, and I actually jumped off the side of a 25-foot bridge, uh, luckily landed in a tree and fell down the branches to the ground. But then the problem was is everybody was still on top of the bridge. I was underneath the bridge now, and nobody knew how to get me back on top of the bridge. And it took us about a half an hour to even figure out how to get me back up to that level. So, yeah, I jumped off a bridge in Ireland, and I lived to tell about it. Uh, yeah, you don't hear the uh, the phrase, luckily I hit a tree on the way down very often, but okay. Uh, yeah, so remember kids, uh, if your story starts, we staggered out of a, pi- uh, a pub in Ireland, uh, it's not going to end well. Or, or it might in the case of Dan, uh, hopefully no permanent damage there. Oh, it was a great trip. <laughs> All right, well, let's, let's talk about um, other kind of qualitative insights that you can get what uh, just let's talk about some quick tools that you can use uh to collect voice of customer in the middle of their actual customer experience yeah of course qualaroo is definitely a great tool that we use for collecting the in-page surveys we've also used other tools uh to be able to give us yes and no answers such as bounce exchange which is a exit intent pop-up uh, so instead of trying to ask for a call to action, download my webinar or download my PDF guide, we've asked them questions on their exit attempt, like, were you able to find what you were looking for, yes or no? And then let them answer that question. And if they want to, we just have a form box that comes up that says, hey, what were you looking for? Tell us the answer. Uh, and a lot of times these in-page survey tools will get you a lot of responses. I mean, 20, 30 percent response rate back to these. And you can take all that data and then be able to make better decisions off of it. Okay, so this is where it kind of loops back into testing. So this is where you get your ideas for what to do in your next test on that page. Yeah, of course. And a lot of times what we look for is what is the biggest part of the funnel that we have the the lowest conversion? Where's that biggest drop-off? And we start asking a lot of questions at that point and try to get as many hypotheses out of that before we start testing. So that way we're making an educated decision on what to test instead of just randomly testing stuff. Okay, everybody uses that term hypothesis. And uh, I, I have a rule that you're only allowed to use it if you can say it without a lisp. 
Yeah, no. And no, I, I don't, so I you're, you're really mean is just different ideas for you know different variations uh, of the test or different ideas for why things aren't working. Exactly. You have it. You have to figure out what to test. You marry these up. You have your quantitative that tells you where things are broken, and then you have to go to your qualitative to basically come up with ideas of why it's broken, and then you use the testing tools to verify whether your ideas actually improved the situation. Is that the kind of the, the closed loop we're talking about? It is, and I would say that we take it a step farther by using our analytics and looking way far down the funnel, even after we do the testing, but that is definitely the process that we follow in doing it. Okay, so you're right. I'll add the fourth step, which is uh, look at your downstream metrics and look at your time-delayed metrics, right, like we discussed earlier. Have you ever had a situation where there are seasonal effects that, uh, you know, you test in fourth quarter, say, for an e-commerce site, and you get very different results than uh, running the same test in off-season? Yeah, you definitely have to be paying attention to what kind of season you're in, what kind of holidays there are, and even time of day. Uh, we've seen a lot of tests that have performed very, very well in the morning, but then drop off in the afternoon and then try to understand why. And it comes down to messaging. So you do need to be very, very sensitive to seasonal. You also need to be paying attention to any holidays uh, and even demographic segments. I mean, it's really, really interesting when you start to understand uh, the types of people that convert on version A compared to type version on B, and it comes down to the demographics data. Yeah, and, and you brought up a good point, even intraday stuff. You might be better off seeing what version of your test content performs well during which times of day. There's a very famous psychological survey that was done with courts in Israel and parole boards and people coming up for parole, right? If they went in front of a judge in the morning, they had a much higher chance of getting parole than late in the afternoon, I mean, it doesn't matter what their crime was or the severity of it or any other factors. It was all basically correlated with how tired and hungry the judge was. I was going to say, that makes it, it's so much sense entirely. That is yeah. uh, a great test. And, I mean, we're talking about like 70% paroles granted in the morning versus under 10% granted at the end of the day. Somebody's got to feed that judge. <laughs> I agree. Well, well Dan, uh, again, you were a fantastic contributor at our Las Vegas conversion conference. If somebody wants to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, it's really simple. Just go on Twitter. It's at Daniel McGaw and just hit me up there. And McGaw is M C G A W. Yes, sir. No R. Daniel McGaw. All right. <laughs> no McGraw? No McGraw. I'm bummed out, but it still works. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, Dan, I have to say, uh, after this interview, that uh, I can officially certify you as effing amazing. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate that. And loyal listeners, we'll see you on the flip side. This has been a presentation of WebmasterRadio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program, as well as our complete library of programs, on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.WebmasterRadio.fm. The opinions expressed on this program 
are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited.